0: Welcome to Brisbane West Vineyards Podcast. It's great to have you with us. We're a community of people sharing God's love, power, and life that's revealed in Jesus. We gather Sundays, 5 p.m., at Good News Lutheran School in Middle Park. We exist simply for the King and his kingdom, that his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is just a standalone. Um, ...sermon tonight, really. Um, this is not a series. Uh, not yet, anyway. Um, but uh, I've, I've kind of coined it, Anchored Upon the Mount. Um, and uh, as I was thinking about sharing today, I thought, what's kind of the common discussion that's happening at the moment? Um, and uh, I've been working at two different places... Um, kind of doing casual work, and I've noticed that there's plenty of chat at the moment around New Year's resolutions. Everyone's asking everyone, what's your New Year's resolution, right? Or they're telling you what their New Year's resolution is. So embarrassing moment, but who here does the New Year's resolutions? Who sits down, writes themselves a list and says... No? Nobody? Okay. I'll pray, shall I? Lord? (laughs) Um, But I think what I've realised is uh, the two workplaces I've worked in, um, there are very few people, if any, that have any sense of faith. None of them would profess to believe in God or have any sense of uh, religious belief. What I've noticed is that they are talking a lot around kind of this Christmas and New Year break um, about what worked last year and what didn't work last year. And they're kind of setting these resolutions, these New Year's resolutions around um, I'm going to change this, this didn't work last year, so now I'm going to do this, right? And as I was thinking about it, we really do as a nation kind of take this time over the Christmas and New Year's and, and ponder these resolutions even if like the rest of you here, don't do New Year's resolutions, right? So what I was pondering was, what's the deeper question, as I often do? What's the deeper question when somebody is speaking about New Year's resolutions? What are they really asking or what are they really telling? What I've worked out is that really what's happening is that there are Things deep down inside all of us that around this season seem to want to get closer and closer to the surface. There seems to be a cultural rhythm where only at this time of the year, because we never ask how our New Year's resolutions are going in July, do we? Right? By then it's old news, no one cares. Right. But it seems there's this cultural rhythm where we feel quite free and even free to share, overshare. Things like, what do we hope to change? What things deep within us seem to be climbing to the surface? But just like all Australians, we frame it in some non-vulnerable like, way. We say, my New Year's resolution is to lose weight, is to stop drinking Coke, to... right... Now, the guys I've worked with this week, they talk a good game. I'm pretty sure that by February, it's all done. Pretty sure all these new plans they got are going to be done. For two weeks, it's about two weeks away. So, I stopped doing New Year's resolutions a long time ago because, frankly, I got to February even before my birthday, which is at the start of February, and pff, there were no longer events in my life, Right? Now, we've just come out of the season of Christmas and if I'm really honest, Christmas is the most difficult season, time of the year for me personally. So I don't need to go into a lot of detail, but Christmas time holds quite a lot of memories of trauma and so while we do celebrate joy, God being with us, Emmanuel, hope, love, peace and all of these things. What runs parallel in my life is high amounts of emotional trauma that are still working themselves out, and they often pop up and surprise me in moments where I'm like, "Wow, that was very left field." I'm always stuck in the Christmas season between trying to see what God's doing, the new things He's doing, and then wrestling with the things that have been done before, right? Now, I don't hate Christmas. I'm learning to live through Christmas. But what I'm beginning to learn is that in these moments where God wants to bring new blessing, old traumas try and renew themselves to rob that blessing. So, this begs the question both for my personal life and for this kind of time of the year and what's present in our culture what are the deep things? that are trying to climb to the surface during this time. What do we need renewing in? What things of last year or last decade or maybe last forever were good, but they need to be grown? What things need to be tweaked? And what things have been buried so deep they're screaming to come to the top? They're crying for change. Well, here's the really wonderful thing. With Jesus, we have the ability to have authentic change. Um, I was going to do a very quick recap on last year, and so I'll race through this quickly. As a community, we looked, we concluded last year our Healing Like Jesus series. We had a look at how to live as living sacrifices with God's kingdom in mind, we looked at how we were to live toward God and toward one another. Uh, In the third series, we had a look at our rhythms um, in the Breathe series, our thoughts and our actions, our emotions. And we dived uh, into the longest series we had, which is in the middle of the bottom there, into the Good and Beautiful God series, and we, we tackled narratives, the things that we think about God. So to sum up last year, really what God had us in is centering ourselves in the truth that God is dynamically present. He's dynamically present to heal us, to deliver us. His goodness is dynamically present. His freedom is present. And he actually provides us a rhythm in which we can continue in that freedom. Right? So... Where do we begin in 2024 when we're in this middle season where stuff's climbing to the surface and we know we need to change things, we want to change things, we don't know if we can change things. Maybe we've even got things we hope to change. My question today is what will we be anchored upon this year? So I want to begin with the words of Jesus, which I think is apt. In Matthew 5, now many of us know this as the Sermon of the Mount. Um, Now I've got a video which is uh, put together by the Bible Project, uh, which we love very much. Um, They just bring together so many themes that are so hard to, to kind of teach in 15 minutes. But to give you the context of what we're about to watch on the screen and then shortly read... Who was Jesus speaking to, right? It's really important because we don't live in the time in which Jesus was speaking and for those who write the Scriptures, we're quite far removed from that. So the context is that Jesus is speaking to the weak, people who are weak mentally, physically and emotionally. He's speaking to those who are financially exhausted. He's speaking to those who are just begging For social change, he's speaking to parents who desire a future without war and oppression and suffering. He's speaking to those who suffer under the power of corruption, maybe in their workplace or the local government. He's speaking to those who find it hard to fit into communities. And on top of it all, he's speaking to those who have actually lost faith in God and people. And he knows that as he's speaking, the people are calling out for change. But it's not just any change. The Sermon of the Mount is Jesus declaring there's a new king and there's a new kingdom. Will you risk everything and trust and follow that king and that kingdom? So let's roll the video and we'll see if, uh, how we land this at the end.
1: If you've ever heard of Jesus of Nazareth, you probably know he was a famous teacher. And his most well-known words have shaped the lives of billions of people throughout
2: history. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do to others what you would have them do to you.
1: Now, those sayings come from a collection of Jesus' teaching that's sometimes called the Sermon on the Mount. It's only three chapters long, but its ideas and images have endured
2: throughout time. You are the salt of the earth. You can't serve both God and money. Take the plank out of your eye before you take the speck out of another's. In the sermon are some really challenging teachings. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, turn and offer him the other cheek. Love your enemy and bless those who persecute you. And there are also some really puzzling teachings. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off.
1: But the Sermon on the Mount is not a random collection of Jesus' teachings. They've been organized in a beautiful way so that it's easier to remember and meditate on. There are three main parts of the sermon, the middle of which has three parts, and then each of those middle parts themselves
2: have three parts. Wow, the sermon has been carefully designed.
1: Yes, and right at the center of the center is the famous prayer that
2: Jesus taught his followers. Our Father in heaven, may your name be treated as holy. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, What does that mean for God's kingdom to come on earth?
1: Well, we have to remember that Jesus was Jewish and he grew up meditating on the Hebrew Bible, the sacred scriptures of Israel, and they told the story of God and all humanity.
2: How God created a well-ordered world and appointed humans to rule it on his behalf. And when humans
1: rule with God's wisdom and love, and when justice and peace prevail and there's enough for everyone, that is God's kingdom and God's will being done here on earth as it is in heaven.
2: And that's no easy task. Humans foolishly rebel and start building their own kingdoms by their own wisdom.
1: And so God chose one family, the Israelites, and he offered them his wisdom. It was called the Torah, which in Hebrew means the teaching. And beginning with Moses on Mount Sinai, God entered into a sacred covenant with them.
2: Why only select one family?
1: Well, the goal was for the Israelites to be transformed by God's wisdom so that they could represent God's kingdom before all the
2: nations. But in Jesus' day, God's kingdom was nowhere to be seen. In fact, Israel was under the thumb of Roman oppressors. So what happened? Why isn't God's kingdom coming?
1: Well, many religious leaders, like the scribes and the Pharisees, they thought it wasn't coming because Israel wasn't being faithful enough to the Torah. Other leaders called the Sadducees thought it would be best if Israel found a way to
2: cooperate with Rome, and so they became the power brokers of Jesus' day. Some ran for the hills to become freedom fighters against Rome. They're known as the Zealots. And still others withdrew to the desert, waiting for God to use them to start a new Israel.
1: But walk around the hill country of Israel, like Jesus did, and you will mostly find normal people figuring out their lives as best they can. Most were barely hanging on, lots of poor and sick people. Many had lost their land to the Roman occupiers and were struggling to pay the heavy taxes.
2: They were powerless and hopeless. And
1: so Jesus went to these people, healing the sick and announcing that God's kingdom was arriving. People gathered from all over to hear his teachings. And one day, Jesus went up to a tall hill and said the arrival of God's kingdom was starting here and now with them.
2: You mean with the powerless, the weak, the nobodies, God's kingdom begins here?
1: Yes. This is why the very first line of the Sermon on the Mount is, Blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, where can you go and see God's presence and blessing springing to life? Among the rich? Among the powerful? No, Jesus says. Look where people are poor, where they feel crushed and defeated. God's kingdom is beginning with the people standing right here.
2: The Sermon on the Mount has an intentional design. It begins with Jesus pronouncing several blessings on his listeners.
1: And those blessings are what we're going to look at next.
0: Project are going through, they are going to spend the year in the Sermon on the Mount. So I encourage you, our household is going to do it. Download the app on whichever device you use, and um, <clears throat> there's a new video released every five weeks. But in the weeks in between, they're going to go through and unpack uh, what it means. So just as they said, we're going to uh, we're going to read the blessings that Jesus announces over his listeners. Um, now, this translation um, is the Bible Project's translation. Okay, so you won't find this in in any of your um, apps, so you can read along here. But we want to read this because this is the stuff we want to anchor ourselves in in 2024. So let's have a read. It says, How good is life for the poor in spirit, because theirs is the kingdom of the skies. How good is life for those who grieve, because they will be comforted. How good is life for the unimportant, because they will inherit the land. How good is life for those who hunger and thirst? was a word we had, wasn't it, earlier? That hungering and thirsting. For right relationships, because they will be satisfied. How good is life for those who show mercy, because they will be shown mercy. How good is life for the pure in heart, because they will see God. How good is life for the peacemakers because they will be called children of God? And how good is life for those who have been persecuted on account of doing what is right? Because theirs is the kingdom of the skies. How good is life for you when they insult you, persecute you and speak evil things against you on account of me? Celebrate and shout for joy. Because your reward is great in the skies. Because this is how they persecuted the prophets that came before you. So we'll stop there. That's the first section. So in our deepest challenges this year, and in the midst of our deepest changes this year, what are we going to be anchored to? My sense in writing this is that some of us are longing to be comforted and that comfort has not come. Some of us have lost inheritances that we're still waiting for and I don't just mean financial ones, although it can include that. Some of us long to be a part of a genuine family where we fit in. Some of us long for authentic change and we've been looking for it and searching for it and it is not found seemingly in the things around us. It's not found in the things that we do. It's interesting here that Jesus speaks about the blessings that come upon his people. He's encouraging them, come and live the good life. Now, when I read it, I really struggle to celebrate how good is life for you when they insult you. (laughs) I've never been insulted and thought, oh, that felt so wonderful, right? So there's something in this that Jesus is asking us to dig down into. He's reminding us actually that God is very present with power. He's present to bring blessings even when there's buffeting. So is the first time that we gather this year will we hear God's call that's currently in discussion at the moment in the culture around us? Will we hear God's call, that change that is looking to happen that's creeping towards the surface that year on year we do our best and set aside. As Jesus' people, what he's saying is, it's not in our strength that change takes place. It's actually in God's blessing that change takes place. So our questions are, will we allow God to anchor our identity Will we allow God to anchor us into authentic righteousness? Will we allow God to anchor us into His wisdom this year? And so, this is the concluding thoughts. Just three questions. I think it's only two, actually. But what does it mean for God's kingdom? To come around me, right in the middle of where I find myself. In the place between where we are today and the things that are going to change. What does that look like? Have we been praying, God, change this, change this, change this? Instead of saying, God, what do you want to change here? What does it mean for God's kingdom to come around me? And secondly, what does living by God's wisdom look like? If there's blessing in the buffeting, as Alan Redpath wrote, there's a book on it in Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, I think it is. He talks about this idea that the kingdom of God comes powerfully in the middle of the poor, and in the middle of the broken, and in the middle of the trauma. And so I just want to take a moment and then we'll go and grab a tea and coffee and knock off early. Everyone likes a short work day. (laughs) But let's just think about it for a moment. What does it mean for God's kingdom to actually come around me? Where I am, where I live, where I work, in my household, in my relationships... What does it look like and what does it look like if we are to live by God's wisdom? Can we take Jesus at his word and say it is the good life when I find myself grieving because God's there with me? This is the good life. So, my encouragement is that we are not to change by our own effort and our own strength. We are to change knowing that God is looking to bless us in where we are, with who we're with, and what we're doing right there in that moment. And our strength comes from His blessing us in that moment. So what will you and I be anchored on if we were to talk in 12 months' time? Let's pray. Lord, this is a bold prayer. But God, I ask that the grief that we've suppressed would come to the surface. And that in that grief, your blessing would come that your healing would come, that your transformation would come, that your comfort would come. God, I ask that for those of us who are so hungry and thirsty that we have quit That you'd bring that stuff to the surface that we may be satisfied. That we wouldn't go just one more year around hoping for change. God, I ask boldly that you would bring the places where we were not shown mercy to the surface. so that we can extend the blessing of mercy. And God I ask for those where there is just we know something dark in our heart. Something that we've kept in the corner and we've kept quiet and we've longed to rid ourselves of it. But just like me at Christmas time it Arrives and it torments and it tortures and it sets its agenda. Lord, would you bring purity to that place in our heart so that we can see you clearly, that we can see Emmanuel, God, with us? Holy Spirit, I ask that you would stir up the peacemakers amongst us those who willingly and intentionally step toward. Those who have turned their back on you and on others. And lastly, Lord, I ask that for those of us who have been persecuted because we trust in you, for those of us who have been insulted, and for those of us who have had lies spoken against us, Lord, on the account of following you and doing the right thing before you, Lord, would you bring celebration and joy as your word promises. Let those things come to the surface, Lord. And let us be anchored on your words and on your kingdom, Jesus name. Amen. Thank you, Ryan. Would you like to read, it with me? Shall we read this? So Ryan and I would like to read you Matthew 5:14. If that's okay, I'll show you the picture so you're all aware of the general theme in which we're going with you. Ready? Okay. Here we go. You are
1: the light of the world. The city on a hill. The city on a hill. It cannot, be it cannot be hidden.
0: Well done, buddy. Thank you for sharing that with us. So if you'd like some prayer, we'd love to pray with you. Grab somebody next to you, or you can come out and get prayer. Here in the vineyard, everyone gets to pray. That's our motto. It's what we live by. Because we expect everyone can hear from the Lord.